Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's the Autosport Podcast. We review a dramatic German Grand Prix and unpick the key moments that made the race for some. German Grand Prix that was with Max Verstappen winning a rain hit race and many other drivers frustrated and disappointed and in some cases furious with missed opportunities. Plenty to talk about on this one. I'm your host Ed Shaw and joining me to dissect this race is Stuart Codling. It's been a long old day hasn't it? It seems like, uh, seems like days ago we were admiring that, that uh, Michael Schumacher Ferrari. Indeed, and we were just doing it this morning. Wasn't wasn't that great? And there were two of them as well. There were two, yeah. It's fantastic to have a look at them. I was drawing attention, a few Toro, Toro Rosso mechanics uh, drifted over to have a look, some members of the Prima uh, team who were hanging around. So, yeah, it was... Uh, it's just, just nice to be confronted with a with a, a car of, of of that vintage. It's it's not often you know when you you've risked life and limb in a in a media shuttle bus from some remote car park to be disgorged blinking into the light at the circuit and think oh there's there's a there's a two thousand and four Ferrari over there um, and only one thing surpassed that today and that was actually watching it in action in the hands of Mick Schumacher. Yeah, that was great. Of course, the son of Michael Schumacher, he did a, uh, a very popular demo. He ran on both Saturday and Sunday, so that was uh, good for the uh, for the home crown. Nice to see that car 
out and running and of course the the v10 whale that uh, people lament the loss oh, of so much better back then alert exactly we'll uh, we'll try and uh, we'll try and avoid that and i, sh- I should say because uh, you're a little bit too cheery because sometimes we have a a slightly uh, run ragged scott mitchell joining us in these post-race podcasts after after the austrian grand prix he was particularly uh, he was particularly troubled well if you if you want me to complain for three minutes sol about how tired and ill i am i could probably do that but but this this hotel has a marvelous innovation where if you if you decline to have your your room made up they give you a beer voucher so on my way in i, I exchanged one of those vouchers for a bit burger and i was half expecting it to be one of those horrendous little 200 centiliters 20 yeah a 0.2 liter um test tube that very often you get in these things they gave me a full half liter of bit burger so frankly after that grand prix and with this i've got nothing to complain about whatsoever and of course, we should say that's quite appropriate, given we were just mentioning Michael Schumacher because he had Bitburger sponsorship. Indeed, and in I, I, I forgot to mention this thing's got a doily at the bottom as well around its. Uh, what, what is this little thing at the bottom of a German beer glass called? Like a little spine. The, the, the sort of stand. I think it like gives a stem. You a, it's a stem, a isn't stem, it? Yeah, and then a, then a, then a base. Well, I think it gives you a touch of class that you've uh, you've been sorely missing. <laughs> Indeed, yes. Excellent. Well, uh, believe it or not, there was uh, plenty going on in the race for us to talk about rather than this uh, this madness. So uh, I guess the real question is where where to start. Max Verstappen is the obvious place. This is uh, his, his kind of long-awaited first rain-affected Grand Prix victory. Lewis Hamilton, of course, has won the last nine rain-affected Grand Prix prior to uh, today's German Grand Prix. We You've been qu- looking at the stats, haven't you? Adam? Well, uh, actually, Autosport Magazine editor Kevin Turner keeps a very good record. He's done some very thorough research. He did give me a number for how many rain-affected races he thinks there have been, which I'm just going to look up because he's got this this massive spreadsheet full of uh, full of things. He reckons there have been 138 rain-affected World Championship races. Now, obviously rain-affected, how much rain? Some of them not massively. And the further you go back, sometimes the slightly less complete records are. Yeah, but, where, uh, where's your crossover point between a wet and dry or a wet-dry race? Exactly, exactly. It's so, you know, that, that number is, is probably up. It's, it's, it's interesting nonetheless. But yes, uh, Lewis Hamilton didn't get his 10th wet win though max verstappen got his got his first it was uh hard it, it was quite a circuitous route to it just as his win in austria was yeah there were quite a few turning points in that race weren't they and just when you thought some sort of narrative was unfolding and the the ducks were getting into line as it were then something random would happen and, and i suppose what, what what this vindicates is you know, some people say one of the great evils of formula one is data and a lot of the teams out there today were just having to rely on intuition and procedure. So uh, Mattia Bonotto, uh, af- after the race, um, said when um, when I asked him about Charles Leclerc's race, where they they'd, they'd actually put him in a position, or it appeared that they put him in a position where he he could win the race before he he binned it foolishly, which we'll come back to later. Uh, and, and I said, how how much of it in in these changing conditions is science, and how much of it is intuition? And he said, just so much of it is communication with your driver and listening to what they say and and, and what they think. And maybe we can drill down into this a little bit further later because if you recall at that kind of crunch point where we thought it, the time was right to go onto slicks then it rapidly proved not to be as the the rain that hadn't been picked up on the radar fell uh, mercedes were blithely telling lewis hamilton that um, yeah these these mediums are fine you can go to the flag and he's saying really oh, i don't think so 
So maybe they were guilty of not listening to their driver enough. Yeah, communication is everything. And of course, we should add that nobody's run in the wet in, in 2019. There have been a few wet weather tests. Red Bull have, uh, have done one and Ferrari have done one. So. Yeah, and they, they were just with sprinklers, so it's not exactly. It's not with changing conditions. What's more, they were testing for Pirelli, so it's blind testing. They're not told what compounds, what types of tyres they're testing. And there was a mixture. Uh, it was mainly a 2020 wet weather tyre test, but obviously I'm sure they'll have back-to-back them. So... All this understanding of feel and how the how the dag and the wear works and the uh, the crossover point when you go from wets to intermediates and intermediates to dry, no idea. So that that made it that made it great. There was even one driver, Alexander Alban, who finished a, a, a fine sixth, and uh, probably if uh, the universal was a just place, maybe should have finished a few places higher. He'd never driven a Grand Prix car in the in the wet prior to yeah, that. Yeah, he said he was the the team were asking him what they thought what, what he thought about the. The conditions, whether it was right, whether the tyres were right, and you think, I don't know, you tell me. <laughs> exactly, that's when experience uh, from the pit wall sometimes is, is, is required. But I actually think, in general, whenever you watch Grand Prix drivers at this level in these conditions, it's absolutely majestic how good they are. You watch those first few laps, the cars snapping around, and yeah, a few drivers had offs, and the nature of some of the offs at the final uh, final two corners because of that that sort of area where the, 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 the drag strip had, had sort of covered the, the runoff in rubber, which had then slicked up, did look a little bit rubbish. But they, they were, you know, phenomenal driving performance. But yeah, Verstappen not didn't make a great start. Neither Red Bull did. They, oh, no, no, they were horrendous, yeah, the, weren't they? Yeah. Christian Horner talked about a, a bit of a mistake with the mapping. Load of wheel spin for both, so Verstappen... Dropped down to fourth place behind Kimi Raikkonen, who made a very fast start. We'll have more on Alfa Romeo fast starts mm. later, I suspect. And <laughs> yeah. Gasly slipped down, so I think it was it was eighth. Yeah, so, and then and the 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 main differentiator, I think, between those two drivers, uh, Verstappen and Gasly, is that is that Max did manage to ameliorate his error very quickly, whereas Gasly compounded his by going off a little bit later. Yeah, it, it's it didn't it, the race never really quite got going for uh, for Gasly, but yeah, Verstappen. So in that in that, <laughs> I first say the first stint, it was a very very brief lap in a bit because well, it was actually about two laps of green flag racing for the leaders because I think Verstappen was given the, the safety car order as he was coming across the line to finish the second lap because of course Sergio Perez, who made Q three in the upgrade race, upgraded racing point, he spun into the wall coming out of uh, out of turn 10 in those horrible uh, horrible conditions a shame because actually early in the race I was thinking oh, Perez is the kind of guy if there's a midfield yeah. podium you, you would think so wouldn't you yeah, he's, he's a serial uh, unlikely podium he's got eight Formula 1 podiums Sergio Perez which yeah. uh, all, all of them in from slightly unpromising uh, yeah if, if anyone could have made something out of this he could so when he was out of the out of the equation it was kind of all bets are off exactly and at that point we had Hamilton leading from pole position from uh, Valtteri Bottas, uh, Verstappen had got up to third because Raikkonen who made that great start. He uh, he was struggling a little bit early on. He ran really deep and almost off the track at turn six on the second lap. So just left the door wide open for Verstappen to say, "Yep, oh, thank you very much." Uh, on I go. Although by that time he'd lost quite a lot of time. He's already five six seconds back from uh, from Hamilton. So uh, that was that kind of set up the uh, the race at the front. And then you have all then you have this, this question that we just talked about: Do you go on to onto one well, or six at that time? That'd be madness. Do you go on to intermediates or not? And generally, drivers don't like staying on full wets very long in the Pirelli era because they're not necessarily they 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 do the disappear best. into chewing gum very quickly. Exactly. So that was the uh, that that was the challenge. And of course, the uh, yeah the general consensus was. Uh, was to pit because pretty much, uh, pretty much everyone did, and of course we should sort of spool back. There's so many little different storylines here. 
and say that what we haven't mentioned is either Ferrari driver. And you would have said up until Saturday afternoon that it was going to be Ferrari drivers fighting out. You would have done, wouldn't you? At, at the front, we had this scorchingly hot Friday in which Ferrari were first and second. Now, Ferrari have have been fastest on Friday for, that was the fifth time this season that they were fastest on Friday. That was the, the fourth time they'd been 1-2 on Friday. So, uh, always on Friday, I do an analysis of the Friday performance and times. It's always it's always very, very difficult because you, you kind of, you take the data that's there, which is it's clear that that's facts. You apply what you know to it, what you've been told by people, what you've managed to glean, and a few of the... Uh, indicators and common patterns but obviously it's not really predictive it's you all you can do is say that's what the picture looks like and the real question there was if the temperatures are a little bit lower which they were on saturday would ferrari still have that advantage and they're still wearing and p3 they weren't did, they yeah it was it wasn't cool as such but uh, but they, they were flying and leclerc for the fourth race in a row looked to have the measure of uh, of uh, of uh, sebastian vettel so everyone was expecting yeah leclerc versus vettel fights leclerc on pole and then suddenly we've got no Ferraris running in Q3. In, indeed, and we ended up with, with Vettel starting from the back of the grid. And, and you have to say that on, on initial form, he, he, he got a bit of go forward mm. in the first couple of laps. And, and thereafter, he seemed to sort of get mired. If, if, I, if I look down... Well, he got up to eighth pretty, uh, pretty sharpish. He was eighth for that first restart after, yeah. the, after the Perez... Uh, Thing. And yeah, and, and he, he did clear the because I think he got to fifteenth almost immediately in the uh, in the race and and good progress. And I thought, well, that's interesting. Vettel's done a good job. But he, yeah, he, when, when you actually looked at the times, though, he wasn't really setting the world alight. And yeah, he, he was, even he, he admitted afterwards that he was actually quite disappointed that he wasn't yeah. able to match the leaders. Post. He was clearing the uh, clearing. What I might rather uncharitably call clearing the dross <laughs> because he was clearing the class beat cars, and there's still this big chasm between. You've between still the two. got to pass them, though. And he, the the interesting thing he did say during uh, the the Ferrari post race press conference, which he he arrived at despite the fact that Ferrari's own PR team didn't expect him to be there. They said, "Oh, he's been doing loads and loads of interviews. He probably won't come." And he bounded in. He was full of beans. Uh, he is a proper person, Sebastian Vettel. He's not. Um, yeah, he's, he's, he's not. not the robot or the mannequin people make him out to be, is he? But well, also he'd spent the whole afternoon. We could hear this in the media centre because the media centre we were kind of at the Williams end of the paddock, which is very close to Turn One, and and uh, you're kind of the second half of the start finish line. So every time Sebastian Vettel did something good. You could hear this tremendous cheer uh, uh, over the yeah. over the noise, which was, which was great because the 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 common narrative is that he's hated or uh, best the the German public are indifferent to him. So it was actually nice to oh yeah they, they, hear, they, hear they people they, they liking it. it. So uh, yeah, as as you say, he sort of initially he got stuck behind Raikkonen. I think was 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 his point he was making, or or rather that he was behind Kimi, and then Kimi was actually going faster than him. He was thinking, what's going on here? Yeah, well, Raikkonen was having a, a, a strong performance as, as well. But yeah, that, uh, the same, I sort of clocked that, and I thought, well, everything's working. It was an intercooler problem that stopped him at the start of Q1, which was what put him to the back. Um, and I thought he kind of got himself into contention, but then didn't it, the, the race went a little bit quiet for him in that phase. And of course, Charles Leclerc was the other one who had the problem. He did make it to Q3, but he had a problem with the uh, control module, the fuel system. So he didn't get out in Q3. So he started down in 10th, obviously. If you get to Q3, you're, you're 10th unless you uh, pick up a penalty. And he got up to 6th um, to place uh, pretty, pretty quickly. So he was sort of latched on to the, uh, the, the back of this. But uh, yeah, so at this stage, the race is kind of about Mercedes in control, 
wondering, right, what can Verstappen do? And then the Ferraris are like, can they get themselves into into uh, into contention? But everybody went on to intermediates. And then we just had this phase of the race. It's kind of two chunks of green flag running either side of a, of a I think it was a virtual safety car for Ricardo retiring with an exhaust problem, keeping track of who caused which yeah, safety car. There was, there was a virtual safety car for Norris as well when he stopped. Yeah, that was the, the later one, yeah. uh, There were a few VSCs going around, but... We had these two chunks where Hamilton was basically, in the first chunk, Hamilton pulled away at 0.38 per lap from Bottas. And in the second chunk, he pulled away at 0.307 or something like that. So conclusively quicker, he built up a lead of pushing nine seconds. I think it was something like 8.7 seconds over Bottas. So actually, He looked imperious, didn't he? Actually, yeah. And it was looking it was looking great for Mercedes there. At their home race, they were running 1-2. I mean, Verstappen was... A problem for Bottas, he was there behind him, but never quite able actually to to have a proper attack. He had that moment when he got quite close, and then the rear snapped on him in in the turn six hairpin. But it was all looking a little bit um, almost <laughs> predictable based on the model. Yeah, the it, model it, it was looking like the main dispute for position was going to be about who came fourth. Exactly, exactly. And uh, in the, in this phase, in, in, during that VSC, there were a couple of cars that took advantage of that to take fresh intermediates on. One of them was Charles Leclerc, who went from fourth, pitted, came out in fourth again, and Nico Hülkenberg, who was fifth, and dropped to sixth behind Räikkönen. But that got them onto fresh inters that allowed them then to, well, Leclerc in particular, to absolutely charge up the order. And that yeah. move did actually get Leclerc for a brief window of time into a position where he looked like he was a victory contender. He, he did, didn't he? Because he, he was actually closed. I mean, he put 20 seconds on Hulkenberg, but probably more crucially uh, was about three or four seconds behind uh, Max by the time Max then made his pit stop. It was about three seconds at the, yeah. at the time of the, uh, uh, the the pit stops when they went on. And they that's the point where they tried to go to, uh, to slick tyres, of course, in this phase of the race so it's um yeah in our lap chart there's an awful lot of squares around where people have made pit stops yeah at it's, that uh, point. It's, it's extremely uh, it's an extremely complicated uh, period this one obviously when you get people making stops in uh, in quick succession um obviously this is where the race unraveled for yeah, Lewis it, hamilton it, it looked like it was one of the one it was going to be a turning point in terms of I mean, assuming that the rain had stopped and it was going to be a slick tyre race from then on, who had made the right choice of going on to the soft tyres and the medium tyres? So, well, Verstappen, uh, of course, went on to the mediums. Went to the mediums, almost instantly looped, didn't he? Yeah, he, he spun the car, collected it very quickly, as you'd expect from him. Um, Valtteri Bottas pitted a lap after Verstappen. Verstappen basically triggered the, the, the front runner's um, pit stops onto, onto slick, so Vettel had stopped a lap earlier, but he wasn't quite... He wasn't really on the radar of the leaders at that stage, yeah. um, and then, then there so Bottas had to had to respond. And they, so you had those two sat on mediums. Yeah, and then, and then there were the Mercedes. Rather than pitting their drivers one after the other, they waited two laps to pit Lewis. So I wonder if because we, we hear the um, the radio on a delay, so you don't actually know quite when the the transmission actually occurred. But that I imagine is when Lewis was arguing the toss with them about whether mediums was the right choice. And he was told, it's going to be dry for the rest of the race. Um, these mediums will see you through to the end. Nice conservative strategy, but clearly it was proved wrong because the rain just came down again. And I think it caught a lot of people out. It hadn't appeared on the radar. Yeah, well, uh, everybody was gravitating towards towards slick tyres at that time. They weren't, they weren't the only ones. So. Yeah. This obviously was the critical part of the race because Hamilton made that stop. It was fine. 
But obviously Leclerc, who pitted the lap after Bottas, so he had Verstappen on lap 25, Bottas on lap 26, and then on lap 27 we had Leclerc in for his set of softs, I think he went for, soft slicks. And then, of course, while driving around into the penultimate corner, the rear wobbles, has a couple of big armfuls of opposite locks trying to gather it up, and then as soon as he gets onto that that, that slick runoff there, the drag strip and the, the just soaked wet rubber embedded in the in the surface, he's just got nothing and yeah, off, he he, just off, skated he, off. off he slides I did quite enjoy it. I know they played some of his radio over the uh, over the main broadcast but I did have a listen to the full one it's great because he he kind of has a bit of a shout and a swear and then he kind of has a bit of a go at himself and he, <laughs> then he then he apologizes to the team and then he has a bit of a go about the track being uh, being dangerous because because the where the runoff it was very uh, very sharp yeah, it's like the five stages of guilt isn't it yeah it was that um yeah just that agony for Leclerc and the interesting thing there was obviously that was the lap that Hamilton came in and the moment Leclerc went off Hamilton was just getting towards the pit exit so Leclerc wasn't at a point where he'd have been jumping Hamilton because obviously the, of course we should mention the VSC was uh, was a factor at this stage because yeah Leclerc, it was the Norris Leclerc wasn't had, it yeah Leclerc had pitted under the VSC and had you know gained a cheap pit stop Hamilton also pitted the next lap with the VSC still out but the VSC disappeared just as he crossed the uh, speed limit control line at the start of the pit lane proper so he didn't uh, didn't uh, save as much time as he might have done then they had a problem with the front right so he lost another th- two to three seconds in that pit stop so I think had Leclerc successfully got around the corner he'd have been kind of the length of the start finish straight maybe behind Hamilton but in contention so yeah Leclerc was probably thinking and Fry probably thinking this is brilliant and then you know the mistake from Leclerc it looks bad because because of just that the slow speed comedy of the the slide across the well, but multiple drivers made that mistake that the rear <laughs> yeah. went at the same time and then once you get off you, you're a passenger the only driver we saw who went significantly off there and got away with it was Sainz and I think the only reason Sainz did that was unlike Nico Hulkenberg who also came a cropper there having got the car sort of more rotated than some of the others Sainz then spun and yeah. that actually that actually slowed his car down much more. <laughs> well, I think you know once you've lost both axles of the car, then you're a bit of a passenger. Whereas if you can at least get one of them under control, you can start to try and recover it. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, mistake for Leclerc, yeah. But those conditions, you know, not good, but not not a uh, not a cardinal sin, shall we say? So it seems like Hamilton at this stage is uh, is kind of home free because the challenger that was rising, who had at that stage, got ahead of Verstappen and Bottas. Verstappen was still just ahead of Bottas despite the spin. So it looked like Leclerc's gone from 10th to 6th in the first stint. He's then got up to 4th, jumped up to 2nd. Then he's gone. So Lewis Hamilton, it's all it's all clear from there, isn't it? All gravy until he goes round that corner and disappears off as well. And it, At first it looked like he'd saved it, didn't it? Because he, he, he nerfed the front wing against the barrier, but he just managed to sort of gather it back into line and then he bumped over the grass onto the onto the pit entry uh, and, and at that point you kind of thought oh well you know that's not on is it you've got to stay to the right of the bollard so All he's going to have his he's going to have his wrist slapped for that and and then this whole keystone cop scene ensued in the pits as the the mercedes pit crew were taken entirely by surprise they didn't have the the tires ready they didn't have a nose cone ready and admittedly you know they only had sort of 20 or 30 seconds to react but it 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 was almost sad watching people running around in a blind panic not knowing quite what to do it it wasn't ideal and um 
Well, several things really. Initially, when Hamilton went off there under the safety car in the yellow flag zone in question, I was pretty unimpressed. I thought, you know, you've gone off under the safety car in the danger zone. That, to me, my first thought was actually he should, be, he should probably be black flagged for that. Uh, yeah, but, you have a point, actually. Yeah. But I did subsequently, as I want to do after the race, I do a lot of studying of the onboards. And he was going so conservatively and slowly. And then the rear just went. And he didn't, he didn't stab on the throttle. He wasn't carrying ridiculous... You know, I, I think there's a point where you just have to say, well... It could just be, you know, the tyres must have lost temperature with that slow yeah. running. Yeah, I and mean, he'd said, um, actually, as he's coming around the hairpin in the stadium, he said on the radio, oh, I think these tyres are a bit risky. And then, of course, he had, that, he had that that moment. And also, obviously, you get the live radio with that. So listening to the radio, I think part of the... There are multiple stages to the confusion. It's easy to kind of laugh at Mercedes and say, well, completely incompetent. But there were a number of factors there. I think they were preparing for Bottas anyway, potentially to change him back again. And then suddenly Hamilton radios in, and he radioed in as he was kind of... As he was just passing the bollard, basically. He said, oh, I, so I'm, I'm, I'm boxing... I suspect part of the problem, a small part of the problem was, and there wasn't much time to communicate it, he said he was coming in, and as he said that, he, he said, oh, I broke my freaking wing, as he's wont to do. As he was saying that, Bono kind of acknowledged it and said, yeah, yeah, we're ready. And so I suspect maybe, because he's, while Lewis correctly reported the wing, Bono maybe sort of ended up just by chance, because he wanted to confirm that they were ready, because he doesn't know exactly where they are. And he said, well, we can deal with it. But that slightly talked over Hamilton reporting that. So probably Lewis thought he'd reported the wing. Yeah, and it wasn't heard. Yeah, exactly. So it was a, it was a horrible uh, set of circumstances, really, and just, uh, just, just went wrong. But we should, I guess, we should kind of take pick up to the end of the, the Hamilton story at this stage, because obviously, just from there, everything just was a disaster. It got worse, it? didn't it? And you, he, he went off a couple of times. He had, a, you know, so he spun twice in this Grand Prix. He, he struggled even on the slick tyres after that and uh, he queried the strategy and Bono said, so almost sheepishly, I felt, um, I think we're going to have to deal with this in the review. I mean, push comes to shove. The Part of the problem is don't go off. But yeah. I, I can't really blame them for putting him onto the, the slicks when they did because everyone was going there and not everybody ended up in that suffering that fate even if Leclerc did so you know it happens and I think the the pit stop chaos which was yeah unfortunate it should have been better and they will look at that and say how do we stop this uh this Farago going on because there were there were difficulties because they could like when they were doing the front wing they couldn't change the tire because it was one of the wheel because one of the I think it was the, the the guy who takes the wheel off was having to help with the wing and it was just all a little bit because once the wing's on you expect it to be right off you go um, yeah, Cause, well, that, that's the longest part of the stop, isn't it? Uh, but obviously, you've got to mess about with jacks and that kind of thing. So, yeah. Well, what, one to yeah. deal with in procedure, isn't it, I suppose? Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, Hamilton had the spin in, in turn one. Um, might have come a little bit, tried to steal a little bit of, en- of curb on the entry on that entry curb, but it's, it's horrible conditions if you even just put a millimetre wrong on the, on, the, on the wet bit there and, you know, more stops. And so he ended up um, down in 11th place on the. Uh, on the road, which did become ninth after the race when the two Alfa Romeos were disqualified. That was uh, Kimi Raikkonen and Antonio Giovinazzi were seventh and eighth on the road. We'll, we'll talk about that later. But that's kind of the end of Hamilton's race. And he, he, he yeah. used quite a nice phrase talking about the race after. He said, um, well, it was like a game of snakes and ladders and uh, we hit we hit quite a few snakes and, and, and they did. And 
There's so, quite a lot of snakes out there in Formula One. Exactly, too many of them, too many. Uh, and yeah, so sort of from lap 27 where he was leading the race, everything was looking nice. Suddenly he's uh, he's gone from the equation. And then all of a sudden, so with, with, with all that going on, from lap 31 onwards, you have Max leading, followed by... Nico Hulkenberg. He'd had a fantastic race up to yeah. he's, a, he's a very classy driver in, in wet conditions. Always remember, all the way back to when he was in A1GP, the self-styled mo- uh, World Cup of Motorsport. <laughs> and there's race in, um, uh, in Malaysia, in Sepa- the Sepang circuit, where it's wet. And he just destroyed everyone. He's, he's a wonderful driver in, in those conditions. So and showed well in the wet, in lesser machinery in Formula One as well, hasn't he? Uh, exactly, yeah, Williams, exactly. Yeah. Very much so. And so you were thinking, well, if, if the cards fall for him, this could be that long-awaited uh, podium. He's got the most starts without a podium by some margin now, actually, which I think is a rather... Broke Adrian Suttles record. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a rather unfair record for him, <laughs> I think. He is, he is a very good driver. But, yeah, that's, that got Hulkenberg up into second place. He wasn't ever really going to hold on to that. And Bottas did eventually get past him. And, uh, yeah, and you had Hamilton, who, uh, who was still there and... Involved at the, the, it was it was his stage. next pit stop that was disastrous. Uh, the sort of the, the final one where people were taking on uh, the the slick tires that it all went wrong for him. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Hulkenberg um, disappearing was uh, unfortunate because he was caught out in the same place. Yeah, the it just goes to show how precipitous that corner was. That even someone who's who's notably good, well. Three drivers who were notably good in, in, in wet weather all went off there. So it, it goes to show how hairy it was. And certainly even on the slow-mo, it, it looked just very, very difficult to control out well, there. It was unfortunate because he had the wobble. He went off. He got the car more rotated. And then he probably thought, well, the car's stable now. That it's all balanced up. So I can, hit, I can apply a bit of throttle and drive back onto the chat. And he applied a bit of throttle and thought, oh, no, I can't do that. Got on the brakes, locked up, slid into the barrier. And we saw him. He was, he was distraught because he knew what he he potentially lost now you can't because he caused a safety car when he went off you can't sort of say where he'd have finished but he yeah. was the midfield leader at that stage and he had been and i think he it made the right decision by trying to open the steering when he was when he was his mid shunt i think all all of the things considered in that split second he made the right call it's just it didn't work out for it him. was a weird it was a weird surface that that slick surface with the uh, with the, uh, the 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 rail on it. So yeah, it's it very... could just be that whatever you do turns out wrong. Exactly. Yeah, it's just very uh, very unfortunate. Uh, sometimes, yeah, these just things go against you. Um, these things happen. So yeah, I mean, we've got so many so many storylines here. We should probably talk about the, the the fading of the the Bottas challenge. Who was still there? Yeah. So Mercedes still had a chance of victory. He was he was running in second place. That uh, was the final restart, wasn't it? Uh, no, the penultimate restart. Saying right, your best chance is to uh, is to over- overtake Max now, and, and and Max just completely nailed him at the restart yeah, and just like took off six seconds. Yeah, and, and then of course Bottas running around, and then uh, yeah, had a uh, had another <laughs> disaster. So it's yeah, uh, I mean, getting ahead of ourselves there a little bit because obviously he got shuffled uh, back a little bit and ended up behind. Uh, Kvyat and, and Stroll, who then enter the enter the fray because they made a very fortuitous or aggressive the time stop to go on. To yeah, the Ra- Racing Point probably arguably more aggressive 
than uh, Toro Rosso because Racing Point pitted Stroll while the safety car was still out. Well, also, <laughs> Racing Point with Stroll, who was the only car basically, spent the whole time doing aggressive stops and it kept not working. <laughs> and then they <laughs> did... You'd kind of think, stop digging. But well, then... And, then they, and then they did this. I mean, Stroll went to him after the race. He said, well, we, yeah, we kept being on the wrong tyre. And then that one time, because the race kept being reset by these safety cars, it was the right it was the right thing. Yeah. So broken I, clocks, right twice a day. Exactly, exactly, and, and they were right to do it. And Kvyat was uh, Toro Rosso were right to do it as as well. But yeah, I mean, ultimately Bottas didn't have the pace to challenge Verstappen. So you know, there, there was a he should have been able to get. You think he should be able to get third, uh, second place because you'd expect him to be able to to pass uh, Kvyat and, and Stroll, although he's struggling a bit, and maybe that played a part in him. In the, the tiny mistake he made in turn one, obviously Hamilton had his spin in turn one as well in the race. But Bottas, it looked like if you watch, if you see there's that good overhead camera, it looked like he just drifted a very a tiny fraction wide, touched a bit of water. Yeah, Randy then, went, then nose off he in, went, nose into the wall, and uh, that wonderful reaction shot of Toto Wolff, whose uh, yes. whole world had been unraveling, just finally, oh, another, <laughs> another thing. And so, and, someone will have captured that and turned it into a GIF, I think. Yeah, and we should say for Bottas. He's been waiting for a, for a Hamilton bad bad race to try and make up a big chunk of this uh, this and even at that point if you, if he'd only only picked up twelve points or whatever which is what he was on for at that stage that would have seemed a little bit of an underachievement and a missed opportunity but to end up out of the race twelve he, points is better than no points exactly he'll be absolutely gutted with with that and he's a you know he's a good driver in the in in wet conditions but I mean yeah just. Uh, you can't miss opportunities if you want to try and uh, beat Lewis Hamilton to the uh, to the championship. So that that'll be one he looks at and and just goes. Oh. But again, in these conditions, he wasn't the only one. No, there there were an awful lot of mistakes made at that point. Interesting, further down, uh, you look at the 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 last driver to pit for slicks was George Russell, and after the uh, after the Grand Prix, he said. I wanted to put. I wanted to pit for slicks earlier. If we had um, pitted for slicks earlier, we might have actually taken a points finish. I think they could have taken a pretty good points finish because if we look, lap forty-four, there in thirteenth place uh, is uh, is yeah, George. Is he was George ahead Russell, of Stroll. Yeah, ahead of Lance Stroll. So had he gone at that point, I'm surprised Williams didn't do it with at least one of them. So had they pitted him, it would have been harder for him to stay as well up as Stroll did because the, the Williams is a far worse car but that would have catapulted the Williams in fact thinking about it because Stroll briefly off camera led the race before Verstappen passed him yeah so they, this, was, this was had, another annoying facet of the race so wasn't we could it? actually have had George Russell momentarily leading the uh, <laughs> leading the race which would have been a uh, an amusing thing I was surprised Williams didn't didn't take that uh, take that pun although they had just stopped Russell so you know it's easy in hindsight to say should have done this, that, and the other. But yeah, you're you're right. I mean, it it shows when we say things like, "Well, Stroll lucked in a bit because of the timing." Kvyat lucked in a bit because of the timing. They still did it and went for it, and it and it was right. And the drivers will have played a part in that. The pit will have played a part in that. So we have to give them give them credit. But all of this made life of Verstappen pretty easy at this stage. And now it, it's a it's a funny weekend for Verstappen because he's he's driven well. He's won the Grand Prix, but I've, there's a few caveats about his performance overall because I think if you look at his qualifying lap a little bit scruffy yeah a few, a few little errors I think maybe the Red Bull had the potential to challenge Hamilton for pole a little bit harder because even Hamilton's pole lap wasn't wasn't perfect 
Um, and then I'm inclined to give him the benefit of the doubt for the start because Gasly had a really bad getaway as well, and there were there were some problems with the, the with the, the mappings and the and the settings, which which alluded to Horner talking about. But he did have a spin. He did struggle a bit to get past Bottas. So all these little things, you think, you know, very good drive, but it wasn't quite the Verstappen barnstormer of a weekend you might have expected. Yeah, he, he said that he only started finding it a bit easy once he'd got past the the Mercedes. He, he said he was quite badly disrupted by um, Bottas's wake, particularly when he was behind him. And, and it was only once Bottas was out of the way that he was able to kind of get to a kind of pace he wanted to go at, which, to my mind, suggests that perhaps our lovely new all-singing, all-dancing front wings are not making it quite so easy to follow as uh, possibly the, the, was hoped when those uh, the specifications were brought in. Yeah, so you'd certainly say a good, uh, a good, a good victory for Verstappen, but I don't think it's it's. It's not a number one victory. By it's, it's, it's not. It's not Jackie Stewart winning the Nurburgring by enough time for everyone else to, for him to. Well, enough time for him to dial out for pizza and have it delivered before anyone else finished. <laughs> was dial out pizza a big thing in 1968? <laughs> I'm not sure it was. Oh, do you know what? if 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 he'd thought of that, he wouldn't have had to uh, carry on driving in Formula One and being a Rolex ambassador. He could have just have sat back on the royalties, as it were. That's a very, very good point. So Pizza magnate. <laughs> Opportunities mixed. Yeah, very uh, different alternative. Uh, well, so yeah, I mean, Max Verstappen, all credit to him. You know, you don't win by luck, but a little bit of fortune. Of course, actually, the driver finished second in the end after passing some of those uh, midfield uh, overachievers towards the end was Vettel. And again, this is when he sort of comes back into the story in that he never really thrust himself into that front-running contention, but the race came to him. He didn't make mistakes. He didn't throw it off. All Strategically, fairly sensible. Not perfect all the time, but but just did what he did. And he was actually really the last last man standing of the, the, the sixth class A cars, if you want to look at it. Yeah, yeah, way. very much so. And as he conceded after the race, he wasn't very happy with, with his first sort of 10 to 15 laps, he said he struggled on the intermediates and, and that's why we didn't really see much from him until he put the slicks on. Yeah, um, I think ultimately he'll be, he'll have, he was right to be pretty happy about, about that result because obviously things have not gone so well. It wasn't a good race last time out in Silverstone with a big mistake. So to pick up a second place, 20th on the grid, home crowd, lots of cheering for him, that's, that's, that's good. You know, yeah, good, he a, a enjoyed good that. Work. Uh, and also, he didn't make a mistake when you know the all, all this all the preconditions for making an epic blunder were there, and he didn't, and other people did. I must admit, when I first caught a glimpse of a Ferrari in the wall, my first thing, oh no, is that again? Oh no, 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 it's Leclerc. Um, well, we should talk about Daniel Kvyat. He finished third in the Toro Rosso. Now, he's a guy who's been through uh, through quite a lot. Even this week, he's uh, he's just uh, had his first child. Yeah, he's had his last good night's sleep for a couple of years. But uh, well, straight away he's uh, he celebrated it with a return to the podium, the first time since early 2016. Of course, when he was with with Red Bull, he's uh, he's been in those lofty positions. And for a driver who was in F1 terms all washed up. Yeah. And someone who is known for being prone to errors. I think he drove exquisitely and he chose the right moment to pit. So he didn't possibly reap the same rewards in terms of track position as Stroll did. He stopped a lap later. But 
he says he he thought the conditions were right and he wasn't quite sure and there was a there was a, he had a little bit of a wobbly moment where he kind of thought am I doing the right thing because I'm basically giving up a top 10 position for you know and, and which I I may not get back this this could be a, a gamble that fails and then the next time round he saw all the other cars pitting and he thought thank god I've done the right thing uh, and then he made short work of of Stroll pressured him into a mistake uh, and and got by him and I think podium was an appropriate reward for a, a driver who put in that classier drive uh, and and also a complete weekend performance whereas um I, I without wishing to do Lance Stroll down once again not brilliant in qualifying he was less bad than he usually is but he wasn't as good as Sergio Perez he spunked a load of his tires in Q1 to get through to Q2 which yeah, did, isn't did, that did clever three runs uh, of course yeah so that's on the face of it Lance Stroll through to Q2 whoa uh, and then you look at the, the carnage he had to wreak on his tyre stock to get there. Not so great. Uh, and then he was quite anonymous in the race uh, until that point. So it would have been a little bit of an injustice if he had finished on the podium because of a, a clever strategic move on the part of his team rather than any sort of great full weekend effort. Yeah, but uh, you know you've, you've got to, you've still got to do it. So I think fourth place is uh, yeah. He stayed on track when other people were throwing exactly, it off the road. Yeah, exactly, and, and good for good for Racing Point in that they had a big aerodynamic upgrade that, that does seem to have significantly improved the car. Perez has been uh, been missing from Q three for quite a while, so for him to get back there, even though it didn't go so well for him on Sunday, is very good. But yeah, for for Kvyat, for a driver who probably you would not have put any money on being in Formula One, who basically thought his F1 career is over. I remember after his last drive of the previous F1 career, shall we said the 2017 US Grand Prix in Austin. He'd obviously missed, I think, Singapore with Gasly in, and then Kvyat came back because there was a clash with the Super Formula round where Gasly was finishing. Uh, was meant to be finishing his season. Obviously, he wasn't able to because of... Uh, Cancellation. Rain-stopped uh, yeah, play. Was, uh, yeah, I think that was that, that weekend. But Kvyat actually drove really well that Austin weekend. And I'm saying to him, well, that's, that's great, isn't it? You know, you've, gone, you've done a... Really good weekend's work, no mistakes, performed all the way through, and we just said something like, "Yeah, well, it's 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 basically too little, too late." Was his uh, thing, and I, I don't think he ever thought he'd have a a shot of a Formula One drive again. So yeah. he, he had that year. Obviously, left the Red Bull fold. Had that year with Ferrari. He was part of their their sort of test and simulator team. He's sort of their second simulator driver to Giovinazzi, uh, but part of that team. And I think he's just come back a much more almost well-balanced, more mature character. Yeah, he was very young when he got promoted to Red Bull, so maybe sometimes these people need to have a little bit of adversity to develop a bit of backbone and to come back and deliver in such a conspicuous way when all eyes are on him to do this is is very impressive. And he himself said, I, I, I thought Formula 1 was over for me and he, he what was how was it he put it um he said I, I feel like I've thrown off these chains so maybe this could be the beginning of uh, even more from him I think it could be that thing of when you've kind of lost everything and then you get it back it's just a little bit different second time isn't it you've you've come to terms with it and maybe in a way you're not so desperate to make it work but in that in that where you're able just to go through your process and do it. Because his season's been strong. The Tour also has slid a little bit backwards as the season's progressed. So it's been a slightly tricky car. He's up against a good teammate, Alex uh, Alex Alban. But Kvyat's been been strong this season. He hasn't had those just those weekends where things get away with him because he kept having 
weekends where you looked at me, thought, yeah, his underlying pace was good, but this went wrong, that went wrong, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then in, in that period when he went back to Toro Rosso after being dropped by Red Bull, so he had a season and a and a little bit with alongside Carlos Sainz, and he was it was something like ninety two percent, ninety two points for Sainz to eight or nine for Kvyat. So it, he was absolutely destroyed yeah. in that. Yeah, he record. was crushed in that. But yeah. he wasn't massively slow. He wasn't half a second a lap slower than Carlos Sainz. It just just wasn't happening. So I think that's great. And it's really good for Toro Rosso as well. I'm re- really pleased with the ex-Minardi team, of course. Brilliant for them to, to get a podium. I, I was there the, at Monza in 2008 when Vettel won, which was just the reaction to that was un, unbelievable. But just think about it. This is a team that has for the last 10, 11 years plugged away, you know, getting the odds, you know, getting... Relatively regular eighth, ninth, tenth, the odd good result. Pierre Gasly was fourth in, in Bahrain last year for them, of course. Then they get this podium and they get to celebrate and everything. With a driver they've had a long association with. He was first there in 2014, of course, as a, as a race driver. Just brilliant for, for, for them. Yeah, and it, it's a team whose brand isn't predicated on winning. So snatching these odd results where they're not threatening the, the, the big team, the A team, it's kind of the best they can hope for. So to actually come away from a, a weekend like this is it, it's something they would they would kind of hope and expect to achieve, but maybe wouldn't bet on. Well, and if you think about it, these non-top six team, the top three team podiums are extremely rare. The last one was Baku last year, so well over a year ago, April twenty eighteen, when we had uh, Sergio Perez getting onto the uh, getting onto the podium. So. These are really precious, and if you're the one who's at the front of that midfield group, you've, you know you, you've absolutely hit hit the nail on the head. Perfect timing. Yeah, as as the fellow with the crazily wandering accent in Game of Thrones said, "Chaos is a ladder." <laughs> yes, yeah, very uh, appropriate. But there are lots of other drivers who could could arguably have had that. Carlos Sainz was fifth for McLaren, despite that off early on. I had a look uh, just for the podcast. He did a little Twitter video for social media video from Frankfurt Airport just thought I'll just have a listen to it just in case you reveal anything limitedly revelatory there but he said well we had less to lose we had more to lose so that those who are lower down could make the slick change a little bit earlier so you know science might be looking at and say well we could have maybe been third but at the same time he'd been fortunate that the mistake he'd made earlier on had been eradicated so you know again yeah reset the scores it's interesting to my mind that I think it was Andreas Seidel the team principal who admitted that after the Renaults were eliminated they went more conservative on strategy because they wanted to bank the points yeah which is justifiable I, I would say because obviously that battle at the front of the midfield is key but at the same time you know you want to yeah, there's two ways of looking at it you can make sure you bank the points or you can go aggressive and and, and get some more but no well I, I suppose the, the the key for me here is that it's a it's a change of mentality at that, at that team where up until comparatively recently they were still deporting themselves as if they were a winning team that had just temporarily fallen upon hard times whereas this sort of reset um, seems to have taken hold and they're now being a lot more realistic so it's kind of thinking okay right oh, we're, we're not telling people that we could have a race winning car if only we had the right engine in we we, we know where we are and we're going to shoot for fourth place in the constructors championship and the, this this and this team are our likely opposition, so we will benchmark our performance to them. Yeah, I, I see what you mean there. And overall, fifth place, considering there was a mistake earlier, I think it was good. And, and science, there was a point where he went a little bit against the grain when everyone, when people were falling over themselves to try slicks. 
he turned up in the pits and then left with a fresh set of inters, which was the right move, which is what got him back into uh, into contention. Carlos Sainz, in rain-affected races, has a tendency to turn up with these sorts of results, actually. Um, we've seen it in, in the past. Brazil, that very wet race, he got a good result. And one in Austin, you know, a number of times he's he's done it. And he's, a, he's one of those drivers who always keeps plugging away in races. Yeah, he, he's, he's a lot tidier than he's given credit for. And I, I think he's, he's definitely a star for the future. Yeah, and, and settled in well at McLaren, and I think the Renault experience was a bit frustrating. He didn't quite uh, last season. You probably argue, argue was relative to expectations his least impressive season, but he's really settled at McLaren, which was uh, looked like a bit of an any port in a storm move, given that yeah, it he did, wasn't it? taken by Red Bull, and Renault ended up uh, ended up uh, not not keeping him. Um, so, and yeah. it's a major vote of confidence in him that McLaren have said. We're not going to entertain the notion of Fernando Alonso coming back. Yeah, well, they'll think they 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 don't need him, and quite justifiably so. Been getting some great results, and that obviously finished ahead of Alexander Albon. And Albon maybe is the one. If you were to say, well, who was the one who perhaps deserved a podium from that? Maybe it was him. He drove a really good race, as we mentioned. Never driven a Grand Prix car in the wet before. He was up there and thereabouts throughout the race. We didn't see any huge mistakes. The only asterisk really against his race was that late clash with Pierre Gasly when Gasly was sort of pulling to the right on the run out of turn six towards turn seven. Albon moved across to kind of cover him. Um, yeah. I, haven't, I haven't seen Gasly's on board yet. I think that'll be the most telling one, but it did look maybe that, that wasn't necessarily advisable to chop your Red Bull. Yeah, it did. It did look a bit mate. near the near the knuckle, but um, I, I think you spoke to him after the race, didn't you, Ed? And he 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 owned up and said, you know, I've misjudged it a bit. But yeah. the, the stewards sort of saw it as a little bit of a no harm, no foul kind of thing. They didn't as, take action as as they should do. I think that's uh, absolutely correct. But Albon's had an impressive rookie season, and this this was a, a really good performance in conditions that could have phased a lot of drivers. Because no one would have had a problem with him if, if he if he fired into the wall on lap two as uh, Sergio Perez did, then he could say, "Well, I've never driven one in the wet before." You know, yeah, you don't want that to happen. But you know, so I think I think very very good, and that's his best F one result. And he's he's he looks like a driver who is gradually putting himself into the conversation for a Red Bull drive in the future. He's still raw. Um, I, th- I I think probably they they wouldn't want to look at putting him into a Red Bull next season unless uh, um, unless they just do decide that Gasly is a, is a lost cause and they have to promote one of the two of Albon and, and, and Kvyat, both of whom have, have probably had better seasons than Gasly. But yeah, and, and that, of course, cost Gasly points. He uh, had a, a front left a tyre go, so so pulled off. And Gasly had a bit of a... Gasly had a very weird weekend, actually. He pranged his brand-new monocoque and damaged it on Friday. Yeah, and then Saturday, all of a sudden, he was back in the races, wasn't he? And he seemed much, much happier with the way things had gone. And he qualified pretty well. You know, he had a couple of sticky moments, didn't he? Like, I think, was it was it Q1? He was just on the cusp of being eliminated, and he, he put in a lap late on. Uh, but then Q3, he was fine. He 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 actually had a better lap in Q3, disallowed yeah. for track limits, didn't well, I he? Think, I think the lap he did was something like 31,000th off Verstappen. It was disallowed for track limits exiting the last corner. That didn't buy him three-tenths or anything. It was a, a small thing, but quite correctly excluded for it. But basically, Gasly was on Verstappen's qualifying pace, with the caveat that I feel Verstappen should have done a little bit better. But that wasn't bad. But then the race, yeah, it just... A little bit like Vettel's, it didn't really go anywhere, did it? It just sort of sat there. 
Yeah, and I, th- I think the problem with Gasly was that obviously he made that mistake at the start, he didn't get away well, but then he had quite another costly little spin later on, which I'm sure if we look at the uh, race lap chart, we can identify when it happened, but that sent him practically down to the back, and from there he didn't really recover. Yeah, exactly, and uh, he had a good weekend in Silverstone and got a good result, but he just needs to keep banking good results. Okay, had that, had that incident with Albon not happened, he'd have taken six. Could he have taken fourth? Uh, he'd have taken fifth, rather. Could he move up to fourth? Uh, whatever, but yeah, he he just needed to bring that car home in the points at that stage. So, yeah, un- unfortunate for, for him. But I still do think Red Bull have every reason to want Gasly to work there. Verstappen gets on well with him. He's probably not considered much of a threat to Verstappen. So if he can be his wingman, that's uh, that's the ideal for, for for them. Now, obviously, we have the question here of where, where do we go? Let, let's talk about the Alfa Romeo drivers. Yeah. Who finished seventh and eighth, Raikkonen and Giovinazzi. Uh, Raikkonen, of course, up to third early on. Now, they both made very, very good starts. Raikkonen up to third. Giovinazzi actually got up to eighth in the first corner. Um, it doesn't really show because I think he came around 11th or 12th at the end of the first lap um, because he locked up and ran off the track at turn two. Yeah, it was it was a very busy opening lap, wasn't it? Because yeah. I think Sainz went a little bit wide on the, on the opening lap and there was a whole kind of bunch of them that sort of tripped over one another. Yeah, it was a bit of a gaggle. Sainz seemed to be off the track or being forced off the track or faced with unpleasant cul-de-sacs just about everywhere uh, everywhere we went. But yeah, so actually the Alphas were quick in dry conditions as well. They qualified very, very, uh, very yeah, well. Yeah, they did. All credit to that them for that. team has come back on strong again. They had a bit of a wobble, but yeah, but performing well. So seventh and eighth place. And then this exclusion for what can correctly be called an infringement of the traction control regulations. Yeah, those regulations were brought in to to avoid teams getting around... The, the way that the single ECU um, is supposed to prevent traction control. But there, there are certain tuning things you can and, and parameters you can change within that. And one, one of the control systems the FIA put in to uh, stop people using these tuning effects to gain what we might call ersatz traction control is that there can only be a, a 70 millisecond delay between the um what what we say the the torque demand which is the basically the driver saying okay accelerate now and that torque going through the clutch and i think in Raikkonen's car that was actually measured at 200 milliseconds and Giovinazzi's 300 milliseconds so that's quite a margin of difference they were the only cars uh, that actually had that because that parameter is tested on all cars after the race so it's it's quite bizarre that it was allowed to happen. Sauber admitted that it was a mistake. But the, the stewards... Alfa Romeo. Oh, God. Whoop, whoop, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Alfa Romeo. Being, you know, I can't call them Sauber. That's just the Swiss the, team. That's just what the company name is and what the team has been since its... <laughs> since, since its inception. Sorry, yeah. There's a great photo uh, of uh, Peter Sauber racing his, his first race car, which I think was a Beetle around Hockenheim. In, uh, oh, fabulous. 60s. Yeah, it's a, it was great. Anyway, I've, I've digressed. We've both digressed. So, yeah, uh, Alfa Alf Romeo probably shouldn't have done it, but... They owned up to it. Their representatives met the stewards. They were bang to rights because th- th- there's no denying it. You do get an advantage in, in having that delay uh, with the torque being applied in wet conditions. But effectively, you, what that, that can do is sort of smooth it out, everything out, 
Uh, yes, yeah, it gives you an easier start. It mitigates wheel spin. Yeah. So in in effect, you know, we, it's not traction control, and it's not even ersatz traction control. But it's kind of moving, it's shuffling a couple of steps in that direction, which is why uh, it has to be stamped on and which is why the the stewards then had a sort of a slightly tricky decision to make because what what, what do you then do with it? So they they said it it amounts to a false start, which would normally be a stop-go penalty, but because it's been found after the race... Uh, it's a 30-second time penalty added on to your times, which dropped them out of the top 10 and handed Robert Kubica his first points finish in a long time. Yeah, 12th and 13th in the end for the two Alfa Romeos. Now, they have lodged a notification of their intent to appeal. I think there's a chance, good chance they'll go through with that. I don't know exactly what's what's gone on here, but we do have to remember that, that we had this strange start procedure, the first time we've seen it, whereby... They ran a number of formation laps on the safety car, four to be precise, and then they brought them round to the grid, and they did a, a normal racing start. That was the official first lap of the race. Those four formation laps were all formation laps. We haven't seen this before. Um, yeah, and the, the rules were ratified two years ago, weren't they? Exactly, it's just yeah. we haven't had a wet race. Exactly, and I think it was great. It was a great way to do it, let the drivers have a look at it, and then it gave us the excitement of the, the grid start, which I think was brilliant, far, far better than starting with the safety car. Yeah, and it enables some water to be cleared, of course, by the passage of the cars. So it's actually quite a, quite a clever way of doing it. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, but it, it does seem that there's, because these cars are so complicated, there may have been something related to that procedure that caused some problems for, for Alpha. I, I don't think there's any anything to suggest that this was some clever trick they thought they were trying to pull. I think there was some kind of mistake involved that led to it happening. The fact is on both cars because Yeah, they admitted it was a it was a blunder. Exactly. They do test these things and it's it's very, very easy to to check. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. And the uh, fact that they that, gave them quite a soft punishment instead of a exclusion. Yeah, I think that's sort of telling there's a bit of understanding there. That did of course promote um the Haas drivers to 7th and 8th, Roman Grosjean 7th, Kevin Magnussen 8th. The first double points finish for the Haas team since the fifth race of the season in Spain. You know, a fairly eventful weekend for the two of them. Obviously, Grosjean continuing to run in the Australian Grand Prix, the season starting spec. Magnussen ran in the latest spec, which fe- featured updated barge boards and some front wing uh, tweaks. Grosjean, obviously, was the one who qualified really strongly in the car that's supposedly well down on downforce. Obviously, they hit each other. Yeah, the end of the race, totally needlessly. Yeah, um, what was it? It was Magnussen kind of went for the ins- lunge up the inside of the hairpin on Grosjean, who then kind of turned in, pretending that he wasn't there. Well, uh, Magnussen was having a little bit of a front end slide. Yeah, it, it was it, it it was tripping everyone. It was six of one and half a dozen of the other, but they're just yeah. like two naughty little schoolboys. It, it was they? needless, and actually. Uh, I think if you're going to Steiner, you're putting quite a difficult situation there because he's at, actually they're now making Steiner look a bit stupid if he doesn't do something. But what's he supposed? All he can do is tell them to stop doing it, you idiots. Yeah, be a bounteous weekend for Netflix if they had enough cameras. <laughs> I know they were shadowing Mercedes this weekend, so yeah, they were yeah. probably thinking, "Well, hey," but there would probably been a fair bit of sweary Gunter going on. Uh, exactly. Yeah, and ultimately, there's not much they can do because. You know, people say, well, they could bench bench one or both drivers, but that's that's just cutting off your nose. Yeah, that's, that's not going to help at all. Spite your face, but you just—it's that thing of just sort of not their heads together and just to say, just just don't do it. Yeah, can you just not do it? Because they're in enough trouble as it is. You know, let's yeah. let's rewind a little bit and look at some of their woes 
from Friday where you had Grosjean in the uh, race one spec car, as they call it, comprehensively outpacing Magnussen, who was... Um, they, they, they were doing a needlessly complicated benchmarking exercise where I think Magnussen ran in the um, the Barcelona spec in practice one and then they put on the, the latest upgrades in uh, practice two, which kind of, to my mind, is just going further down the rabbit hole as we discussed in our preview podcast, Ed. Uh, and and he, was, he was, what, 1.29 seconds slower than Grosjean in FP2. Um, and then keeping that same spec, the next day, slightly cooler ambience, no other changes, he was actually faster than him, I think. I mean, he was certainly, you know, he found yeah, two he, or three he, seconds. He was three yeah, seconds he, he faster. He right up to the front of the midfield. So, yeah. Yeah, it's just... so they, they've got no understanding whatsoever why that happened. Mm. Yeah, there, there's some serious... I did ask Raymond Grosjean, after the race, said, "Well, do you take this as confirmation? There is some kind of aero problem there." And he, he he didn't quite say, "Yes, there's definitely an aero problem," but he didn't say his response. Sort of said, "Well, I'm I'm happy with it," and you know everything about his demeanour suggested, "Yeah, there's there's something going on there," and it's it's more than just not getting the the, the tyres to work. So uh, ultimately, though, seventh and eighth for Haas, they did hit each other, but not too hard. So it wasn't race ending. They so. could maybe take solace from the fact they got away with it, but. Even so, I think I think Gunter Steiner will yeah. just be. Gunter Steiner will think he that he massively got out of jail free. That yeah, exactly. And uh, the drivers have to realise that Lewis Hamilton was ninth in the end. He's finished eleventh on the road, moved up to ninth. We talked about uh, him. So uh, amusingly, Hamilton on quite a bad day, when in which he hit many snakes, has actually extended his championship lead. Yeah, which is quite funny. And also, we we, we need to um, also point out that he's been placing calls on the great white telephone to Ralph and Huey all weekend because he's not been very well so uh, actually yeah and he, he described yeah. it after qualifying when you asked him as a as a sore throat which I think was something of an understatement I think he was quite he was quite under the weather wasn't he and there was obviously that they did go as far as to put Esteban Ock on the reserve driver kind of on standby yeah when when you see after qualifying he makes to get out the car and then parks himself back in again there, there's someone who is desperately in need of getting their insides under control so uh, he, he actually looked pained he, he had that kind of semi-poker face expression on that he often has at the end of races where he's a little bit disappointed and he's trying not to hide his disappointment but this time he was he was just trying to put a brave face on not being very Huey Lewis in the news you might say yes there we go there we go and I think he he was sort of like that all weekend I think anybody people were always quick to sort of say oh he's just using that as an excuse but he, he, he wasn't in fact we should add he only talked about it because people kept asking him uh, about it quite legitimately because you hear these this mutterings that this is the case so obviously the logical thing to do is going to ask which is uh, uh, which obviously leads to him talking about it it's not like he's standing there saying woe is me but yeah all through the weekend whenever you saw him he was and, and you didn't see him a great deal actually because he was sort of obviously yeah he he he, he, he looked he, he was, and at the time he was I mean, I, I know we were all perspiring, but he was he was sweating like Donald Trump taking a spelling test. Exactly, exactly. Well, we, and we should say we briefly mentioned Robert Kubica getting his first point since I think it was Abu Dhabi twenty ten would have been his his last point finish in the in the Renault in that famous Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm very pleased for him to get a point. Um, it's a, a fortuitous one with uh, the the exclusions, but. You know, good for for a guy who 
I didn't think would ever race a Grand Prix car again uh, at one stage to be able to come in and actually score another point, even if he doesn't do anything else, even if no. his, his return fizzles out at the end of the year, he has got on the scoreboard, which is uh, is to me quite yeah, uh, it's it's just nice. He's he's a real proper racer. He won't be personally, I think, that thrilled by it, but it, no. It's a big difference to have one by your name rather than a naught. I think so. And it, it will have thrilled his fans back home as well who've been hoping for something like this. And we've, as you say, we've all wanted to see him back in the points again. It, it would be nicer if he was near the front. And well, he's, he's not driving a very good car. So. No, he's, 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 he's not in a great car. So Actually, we, he, had a, he had a decent weekend. This, this may well have been. I haven't done all my work on the... Uh, I will, I will. Why are we still talking if you haven't done all your well, work? No, I should be working for many hours into the night because I like to try and study people's race. And think, uh, this may well have been Kibitz's best all-round weekend. I'm not committing to that yet because I need to do some more study. But oh, do we, Are we going to have to edit this bit out of the podcast no, 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 if I'm, you discover I'm... in the nocturnal hours that you're wrong? <laughs> By the time people listen to this, I may have worked it out. But you have to look at the driver ratings on autosport.com. Uh, tomorrow to be able to uh, ah the the, to, the yeah. famously rigorous or notoriously flawed yeah. driver ratings depending on which side of the fence you're on exactly it's tricky this sort of race because as we discussed with all these things about you know how how much was luck how much was was, was judgment how much was uh, was just down to driving around normally while everyone else made mistakes you know does this mean we're going to have to be discussing these on the way to the airport tomorrow or are you going to have filed them by then. I always like to give them a bit of a sense check. So you can say, why on earth did you give them seven? It should be a six. <laughs> Actually, I, I quite like these discussions because usually, you know, we're in traffic or something. We're yeah, on our way to an airport. And it's, and it's a, yeah, they even are... in the back of a taxi on the way to the airport. It's, you know, Verstappen six or seven at this uh, race. Well, it's also it's a good, good for them to be challenged as well because if yeah. I can't successfully argue it and justify it, then I'm wrong. Um, and sometimes they do, they get moved around a little bit. So that's a useful, uh, useful little thing. So, yeah. But yeah, on on Kibitz, uh, you know Williams. Maybe you could argue Williams had a missed opportunity today overall, but for now they've got the point uh, point finish anyway, which is nice for for them to have because it makes no difference they're going to be last in the championship, whatever happens. But at least you feel like you're in the game. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's better to have a point, even if it's by happenstance, than leaving a Grand Prix weekend sort of tearing yourself apart over what might have been because there's lots and lots of ifs and buts in Formula 1. As Murray Walker said, F1 is if backwards. And we all said, no, Murray, it's 1F backwards. But it's it's very easy to look back on a race and say, well, you know, if I'd done that at a certain time, then something else would have happened. Yeah, no, ex- exactly, exactly. Well, we, hopefully we've given everybody... Uh some idea of what was going on in that race. and uh, <laughs> It was just scratched well, the think, surface, uh, I think, really. Well, there, there very was, complicated There race. was so much going on, which is wonderful. And it just shows these races don't come along that often where you have a, a real chaos race. Also, all the way through, actually, to have, to have this. Uh, in fact, I briefly spoke to a friend of the podcast, Karun Chandok, uh, after the race while he was in between scuttling around for Sky Sports F1. Of course, he does a very fine job on the uh, television broadcast. Um, he sort of said, "Oh, is that the, uh, the the sort of the the first proper chaos race since Spa '98?" And I thought, "Well, Nurburgring '07 when Vinklock led." Yeah, but, yeah, but that Karin, was very. Karim made the valid point that actually that race did did pretty much settle down after that initial madness. Whereas this one, it was madness upon madness upon madness. I, I found it very hard to compose my race report for uh, Autosport.com and Motorsport.com because you kind of have to be tickling it along as you're going because it needs the, to be the, filed promptly. Well, the live report is. Uh, 
a tricky one because obviously you've got so much going on and then you get to the point if you inevitably you can't because I'll try and keep as close track of all drivers as I can and try to take on all the data that possibly can and you can't follow all 20 properly and so you, then when you get something like Stroll appearing and he hasn't really been a factor you, <laughs> I know in your position you'd be like oh how did he get there and yeah you, you desperately want to have and, and this sounds very counterintuitive you actually want to have a few laps where there's not much going on just so you can get on top of everything again and I think uh, I'd compounded that with a slightly suboptimal desk choice where I was actually underneath the monitor so I had to kind of crane my neck to see the uh, uh, the, the, the TV screens and the timing screens uh, and, and just just in that articulation of your neck you're losing precious milliseconds every time <laughs> when there was something happening every millisecond counts doesn't it and over a race distance that's yeah, you've possibly cost yourself twenty seconds there. Definitely, I I think actually that anyone who sat through the French Grand Prix has absolutely earned this brilliantly entertaining Grand Prix. It's, it'd be nice if we sort of had a smoothing effect where where you had Grand Prix that were entertaining and thrilling, but not you know that enabled you to maybe visit the toilet midway through the Grand Prix or some you know take some sort of comfort break. I did an excellent strategy and I managed to fit my uh, brief visit to facilities which of course you had to sort of walk outside and uh, round to... Uh, yeah, to risk the, the rain. I managed to fit that perfectly into a, into a safety car period. And also, had anything happened, I was very close to the Term 1 grandstand, so I'd have heard a cheer anyway. So. Yeah, exactly. Although sometimes it was difficult to work out who which cheer was pertaining to Vettel and which cheer was <laughs> pertaining to Max Verstappen. Or, some, or something going wrong, because uh, there was a big cheer went up when Hamilton had his spin. And I yeah. remember hearing the cheer and I thought, what, what, what are that lot going on about? And then, of course, you see, because obviously sometimes you can't, if, the, if the, the TV's not showing it and you don't... Yeah, the directors decide to cut yeah. to the crowd or, you know, yeah. a celebrity picking their nose or yeah, something exactly. like yeah, that. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, it, I think just to say something slightly uh, slightly contentious, not I don't think such a sake of it, but there's been quite a lot of criticism of Formula 1 recently and a lot of it is justified. But if we look at this run of races, the French Grand Prix was very, very flat. There was It was quite hard. There's always something interesting to take the attention of in a Grand Prix, even, the, even the, the, in inverted commas, dull ones. But we've had this run of races. Monaco, Monaco's Monaco. It's never going to be a massive thrill ride, but a yeah. tense, gripping race with Verstappen behind Hamilton. Canada, with Hamilton chasing down Vettel and the controversy with his off. France, forget about that. Austria, cracking race that was. Silverstone, lots going on. And then German Grand Prix, fantastic. So what if we had a run of... Uh, five out of six races yeah exactly and the last three races particularly thrilling all for different reasons so you can't sort of pinpoint one cause I think this one is very much a victory for absence of data yes definitely I'd agree with that Uh, also the thing that creates good racing as well and interesting races if people are closely matched that's the number one function of it and although for example at Silverstone Mercedes was a step ahead but the two drivers were able to have a battle because they were close whereas with those two drivers, they couldn't this time because Hamilton was three to four tenths faster in the early stages of the race. So that that's the kind of imponderable thing, the, the, the cars of similar pace, shall we say, which isn't – it's the fault perhaps of the rules and the way the money is distributed that we have this class A, class B split. But it's nobody's fault. It's not the rules' fault that Ferrari can't consistently take the fight to Mercedes. They've got exactly the same potential, probably. So all these, all these different uh, – different reasons but i think it's good you know the problems are still there they're not solved by that but but i think it's very very easy just to kind of keep kicking formula one 
and there are good things and that's the important thing because if you can when you're going to change things as they are going to do in 2021 hopefully for the better you don't just change for change's sake you say this is what we've got here are all the good things we'll try and keep them and here are the bad things we'll try and improve that and i don't think it's very helpful when you know people sometimes it'll be people who wouldn't have any interest in watching a, the greatest grand prix of all time anyway that they they don't if they're saying they're not very interested in it, well, does that really matter? Yeah, I'm all for expanding the the fan base and the viewer base, but at the end of the day, you're going to have people, If you, especially if you're trying to reach out to the casual audience, you're just going to get people who think, well, it's just rich blokes driving round and round in circles. You shouldn't throw the fan base and their interests into the dumpster to try and chase a fictional audience that you're never going to encounter. Well, that's the problem, because people do have to have a certain engagement and an appeal to it some people just some people click with different things you're a rugby fan i've and i like a lot of sport i've never really got on with rugby it just doesn't click for me and that and you haven't come to a london irish match Ed. i haven't it's been a long time since i've been to a professional rugby match but i have i have uh, i have been to them but you know it, it's not because rugby's fundamentally bad but it's got fundamental flaws and rugby shouldn't do anything to try and attract me basically because over the past 40 years it's basically showing that it just doesn't work for it just doesn't click for me i don't hate it but yeah it's, it's just one of those uh things but i thought it was worth pointing out that things have gone reasonably well of late so um let's just be uh be aware of that well we've prattled on for quite long enough it's uh not too far off 1am here in uh, oh here in Heidelberg and there's still some more work to do so uh, thanks for putting up with us uh, do check out the Old Sport podcast there's all sorts of fallout from the, the race there there's more on the Alfa Romeo uh, disqualifications there's lots of detail to get your teeth into in there and we'll have news in due course about whether they are proceeding with that appeal because you lodge an intent to appeal and then you can uh, do your official appeal within a certain it's basically time. like going through the cow's stomachs of an appeal process <laughs> isn't it so they've they've basically gone into the first stomach and then they're going to pass through a little intestine and then into a second stomach pretty much yeah that's a very good uh, description so there's a load on autosport.com there and obviously in our plus subscriber area there's all sorts of uh, in-depth motorsport features the race analysis will be up there uh, early in the morning and the driver ratings and there's uh, yeah plenty to get your teeth into uh, there do check out sister titles f1 racing magazine out every month out next week landing on subscribers doormats tomorrow as we actually today later Ooh. today as we speak yeah, there we go. Get, get your days right well that's a very good uh and of course flat chat what flat chat, flat with? chat with codders which uh slightly it's, we, we, we hit a slight technical hitch those of you who listen to our preview podcast uh, oh yeah you were proudly saying that you'd be recording yeah, the latest edition of yeah. We, we, we had a technical we, we we did a technical test everyone could hear one another people in london our correspondent in france everything worked and then when uh, jimmy and i sat in my room on friday morning to or thursday morning to record said podcast um the the, the people at the end couldn't hear us so uh, an hour of turning things off and switching them back on again ensued which solved nothing. So hopefully we will be able to record and drop this podcast at some time this week. Excellent. Well, so do subscribe to that. Search for Flat Chat in your podcast supplier of choice. So yeah, F1 Racing Magazine is out every month. Uh, motorsport.com is also a sister title, as is Motorsport News, out every Wednesday. If you like this podcast, like us on the Spreaker site, subscribe via whichever podcast supplier you favour. And uh, yeah, if you like it, 
give us a review on iTunes. If you don't like it, give us a review as well. But uh, we hope if you've got this far into it, you've, you've, you've enjoyed it and you've not just been torturing yourself. That, that would be amazing, wouldn't it, if someone actually puts in a review saying, I listened to this for an hour and 15 minutes. It's terrible. I'm not listening to it ever again. <laughs> I listened to it twice to make sure. <laughs> yes, uh, if you are that person, well done, well done. Uh, well, thanks very much for joining us. We'll be back soon with another Autosport podcast. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting and rules for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. That's right. Millions of kids in kindergarten through third grade in the United States cannot read at grade level. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just one dollar text the word grade to 32 32 32 right now hooked on phonics is highly effective and incredibly fun and everything can be done right from home and in less than 20 minutes a day for more than 30 years hooked on phonics has been the proven learn to read program that kids love to use text grade to 32 32 32 and teach your child to read in just 30 days guaranteed text grade to 32 32 32 right now and get started for just one dollar text grade to 32 32 32 now text grade to 32 32 32 Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.